Hello and welcome to LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Directors of Nursing Services, AADNS. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today AADNS Curriculum Development Specialist, Alexis Rome, will talk about how the DNS can achieve survey success for 2020. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Excellent. Let's get going. Alexis, we know that a standard survey is a required event for providers, but why is it so important? Rebecca, I appreciate this question to start our conversation today because not only is survey required, it's critical to the facility remaining open, actually. In order for a facility to receive payment for services under the Medicare and Medicaid programs, they must be found in compliance with the requirements of participation. To certify that the facility is in compliance, a state survey team completes an unannounced life safety code survey and a standard survey. The standard survey is the portion that the DNS is really involved with. Alexis, when can a facility anticipate their standard survey will occur? The State Operations Manual, or SOM, requires that the state survey agency perform a standard survey no later than 15 months after the last day of the previous standard survey. The last day is defined as the last day of on-site observations, and it doesn't matter if the exit was on that day or not. The SOM also requires the state survey agency to maintain a statewide average for survey frequency that doesn't exceed 12 months. So what this means is that the facility survey window is between 9 to 15 months from the last day of the previous survey. And remember, it's unannounced. So you've got several months, really, that a survey team could walk through your doors to conduct that standard survey. That seems like a significant span of time, waiting between 9 and 15 months for the standard survey to occur. Yes, it can feel like the days drag by when you're hoping the survey team comes in because you and your team are ready. And maybe you've done a lot of work and want that hard work reflected, such as an increase in your five-star survey rating score. But there are also those times you just hope your survey is closer to the 15-month mark than the nine-month mark. This could be the case if you're a new DNS in the facility and want time to become more familiar with the clinical operations of the facility. But your comment, Rebecca, prompts me to remind everyone that even though there is a nine to 15 month survey window, a surveyor can walk into your facility anytime to investigate a fry or a facility reported incident or a hotline complaint. These factors, you know, the span of time that the standard survey can occur, it being unannounced, and then the possibility of a complaint survey should help us appreciate it's really important to stay survey ready. We can't just be sure when surveyors will be in our facility to determine compliance. Alexis, are there other reasons for why staying survey ready is important? Absolutely. Clinical operations aren't just complicated, they are complex and there is a big difference between the two. Complicated problems can be solved with rules and things being managed, but complex means that there are many interrelated components at work that affect each other and influence each other, along with a lot of unknowns. This requires leadership and consistency over time. 
So let me give you an example. We can conduct a root cause analysis and figure out the root causes, or at least the contributing factors for, say, a pressure ulcer rate to climb in a facility. It may be complicated, but we can do it. Complexity, however, acknowledges the personal aspect or human component and how that influences the outcomes of care. This is a true story. I was consulting for a facility who was struggling with their acquired pressure ulcer rate. We decided to do a root cause analysis exercise and invited CNAs, CMTs, and charge nurses to attend. And I facilitated this exercise and we figured out several root causes. One of them was the staff came to the conclusion that absenteeism and working short were a root cause. I would never have anticipated this, but the staff who were dependable started addressing those in the room with attendance issues and said things like, see, when you're not here, this is what happens. You guys have to show up. You have to help us. We can't do this without you. So there were definitely complicated process issues that needed to be addressed that came out during this exercise, but there was also the need to understand the complexity of the situation and for managers to also be leaders. You know, it's not as easy as giving an in-service on peri-care and creating a new form. If that was the case, then every facility would have the mandatory in-service for peri-care and how to document the skin assessment and never have a problem again. It's complex, not just complicated, and requires consistency and management and leadership to develop processes that support each system of clinical operations, but in a way that fosters staff engagement in the improvement and reinforces them so they're vested in the success of the facility and ultimately really care for and about the residents. Because it's so complex and takes time, the DNS must understand you've got to have a plan to stay survey ready instead of trying to play catch up. Great points, Alexis. There's a lot to figure out when it comes to being survey ready. So what can the DNS and other nurse leaders do to gain the competency they need to tackle their role in survey readiness? Well, I really believe the most important investment you can make is in yourself. So I encourage all nurses to please continue to seek education opportunities to do just that. But in terms of a more solid action, the nurse leaders should evaluate their own knowledge and skill set in regards to the survey process and the regulations. Clinical knowledge is also paramount because the DNS is the manager and leader of clinical care and services. You have to know how to apply evidence-based practice, which in turn improves outcomes of care, which in turn supports survey compliance. I would also strongly encourage the DNS to evaluate their leadership behaviors and work on this aspect of being a premier nurse leader. So after you conduct this evaluation of yourself, you can develop a professional development plan each year and then check your progress periodically throughout the year. Part of being a professional is continually learning and improving ourselves. That's great advice, Alexis. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. Now that PDPM is here, there's no better time to focus on your QAPI program 
Be the QAPI expert your facility needs by earning your QAPI Certified Professional credential. Learn more by visiting aadns-ltc.org backslash qcp-certification. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with AADNS Curriculum Development Specialist Alexis Rome about how the DNS can achieve service success for 2020. Now, Alexis, what can the DNS do to implement survey readiness in their facility? Well, I recommend a strategy or plan that is intentional and allows the DNS to methodically work through the various aspects that surveyors will investigate. I'm really excited about this because we developed a tool for AADNS members that helps the DNS do this called Survey Readiness, Critical Element Pathways, Observations, Reviews, and Policy Calendar. Members can find it on the AADNS website under Resources and then Tools under the drop-down menu. But the DNS can start by selecting a monthly survey sample of residents just as the survey team does. These are the residents who will serve as the mock survey sample for the month. Alexis, how can the mock survey selection reflect the surveyor selection? Great question. 70% of the resident survey sample is selected using data generated from the MDS before the surveyors ever walk through the door to start the survey. The remaining 30% of the sample is selected on-site by the survey team. They use the sample of residents to determine if the facility is in compliance or not. You know, it's simply not feasible for a survey team to do an in-depth investigation using all the residents in your census. So they use a sample size that is 20% of the census or no more than 35 residents. To make it manageable, to work through the tools surveyors use to guide them, the DNS can also select a survey sample each month. I know a lot of facilities have an annual mock survey, and that's great. Continue to do that. But let's say the survey team comes in six months after your internal mock survey. The sample of residents selected at that time may be very different than the sample that was used for the mock survey, which could result in a different focus that wasn't identified in your mock survey. This is why I suggest selecting a survey sample each month. The AADNS tool I mentioned a few moments ago gives some tips on how to do this. Excellent. So after they choose the survey sample, what happens next? Well, you know, the surveyors have one purpose, and the whole time they spend in the facility is doing nothing but that, determining if the facility is compliant or not. However, the DNS and the clinical team can't spend a week conducting mock survey activities every month. There's just too much else to do. So to make it manageable, the DNS can determine what the area of survey focus will be each month and really work on that area. For example, in the AADNS tool, we designate in March to be the month that the critical element pathways or CEPs for hospice and end of life care, death and pain management are used. These are the tools the surveyors use to investigate compliance and the DNS and the clinical team can also use them to do a self-evaluation of their compliance using that monthly survey sample of residents. That's a great way to break it down, Alexis. So how do the facility's policies and procedures relate to conducting a self-evaluation of compliance? 
The survey team will review many of the facility's policies and procedures. Then they will observe staff, conduct interviews, review medical records uh, using those survey tools that guide them. And then they determine that the facility staff is following their own policies and procedures. So in addition to using the surveyor's tools to conduct your own evaluation of compliance, I strongly encourage the DNS to review the facility's associated policies and procedures and ask the same question the surveyors are asking. Are we following our own policies and procedures? You know, but the difference is the DNS must also ask if we aren't following them, why? And then you've got to address it. One thing I really want to stress is that if the policies and procedures have a lot of extra steps on necessary information, just remove it because it's creating a barrier to clarity and serving no purpose other than presenting a risk for a citation or even potentially a plaintiff's claim in a lawsuit. You've also got to review the policies and procedures to ensure they are current with the evidence or recommendations. For example, the CDC recommends each person who requires a blood sugar check have their own device. It is not required in the regulations, but it's a recommended practice. So when the surveyor sees that one device is being shared, they're gonna investigate further and also pay really keen attention to infection control practices with that one device. So your policies and procedures should address how it will be disinfected and handled after each use to prevent the carryover of blood and other potentially infectious agents from person to person. Then you've got to conduct observations to make sure the nurses obtaining those blood sugar readings are really following the policy and procedure consistently. Going back to that example I mentioned earlier, I said the AADNS tool designated March as the month for the hospice end of life care, death and pain management CEPs are used to do that self-evaluation of compliance. The major policy and procedure topic areas for compliance would be CPR, advanced directives, and end-of-life care and hospice. Now, you may have several policies under those major topics, but now you have a methodical plan to review those in conjunction with survey compliance. Thank you, Alexis. These are some helpful tips to help directors of nursing get prepared for survey in 2020. Thank you for having me, and I wish all of you the best success with your survey readiness activities. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more survey readiness resources and tools, please visit our website at www.aadns-ltc.org. 